Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I'm excited to have Chris Chapitan on the podcast. Chris is the principal at Steam Middle School in Burleson, Texas. He's a blogger, rapper, and member of the Nohia Kindreds. Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate, Josh, the opportunity. I've been a longtime listener, first-time callers to Aspire <laughs> Leadership. Just thankful to be a part of this episode. Oh, it's my pleasure. And Chris, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. And today, I would love to hear about your leadership journey. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a late arriver to the, the education scene. Um, I started as an alt-cert, having worked with kids a majority of my adult life. It was an, a natural transition. And really, my journey has been one where folks who've invested in me who looked out for me, who poured into me, have just said, hey, have you thought about? So, you know, I started as a substitute teacher, and then it was, well, have you thought about this particular paraprofessional opportunity? Have you thought about this particular teaching opportunity? When it came to administration, people like Tammy Vardy, Michaela Hill, Brandon Johnson, you know, have you thought about serving in this type of capacity, having more influence, having more leadership opportunities, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, more responsibility to serve and, and grow others. So, uh, really my journey can be summed up in people who've invested in me and helped me get to a point where, you know, I have that opportunity with others now. So I want to talk about that. Was there leaders in addition to who you just talked about, who you worked with that you really admired? And if so, what qualities inspired you? Yeah. I mean, all, all along the journey, you know, definitely anybody that's, that's inspirational, but then has systems, results, uh, relationships that that match that inspiration. Folks that that really seek to systemically grow people by being strategic and intentional in those growth opportunities. You know, I, I've been the benef- beneficiary of of those types of relationships. People who uh, you know would weave into the course of of the day time for conversations to reflect and to consider. Um, you know, what are the areas of growth? What are the areas that, that we, we uh, handle the situation well? And then folks that were able to do all of that in the context of fun, cultivating that vibe of loving to come to work today or every day, you know, loving to, to serve, to try new things, to experiment, to take risks and to learn from those, but to do it in, a, in an environment where you know, we, we're, a, we're a community bonded by the mission. So, so we, enjoy, we enjoy living this work life together. Yeah, and I've heard you speak before on just how fun you were as a teacher and creative. So what was the biggest misconception as you moved from being a teacher to an administrator? Honestly, it was a journey of identity for me. So I would have considered myself to be a fun teacher. I enjoyed acting goofy. I enjoyed making the learning engaging by being vulnerable and fun myself, writing songs in classes. I remember one time as an elementary teacher, you know, you're taking students from one from a classroom to uh, to the gym or to another location on campus, you know, and there's a heavy emphasis on being quiet in the hall, respectful of the other classes in session, et cetera. So, you know, I would do things like I wrote a rap song called Quiet in the Hall, and that was fun to have kids singing that. Or, you know, we're going to pretend to be secret agents. And so, yeah, we're, we're quiet in the hall, but we're, we're slipping around corners and, and we're, you know, sliding up against the wall, which probably wasn't okay, <laughs> but oh, whatever sliding up against the wall, you know, secret agents on a mission to get from one place to another and doing those things instructionally as well. So, so now that I, I've got this administrator title, can I be that guy and still, you know, have this title and perform the functions of, of 
my job that are required. And so that, especially that first year, I was a first year administrator at a brand new school, really experiencing a, a lot for the first time, not just in my own role, but as a campus and theme oriented campus. So, you know, we took on these 21st century type challenges with project-based instruction, and we were the first one-to-one middle school in our district and, and just things of that nature. And so, you know, it was, a, it was a long journey of who am I now? I am not the fun, engaging, and, you know, fairly good results uh, fifth grade math teacher anymore. Um, so who, who am I? And, you know, after, after a year, I still talk about it, folks, to this day, after about a year, it's like I woke up the next summer, and it was my first opportunity really to, to rest and reflect. And it was like, you know what? Like, I didn't just survive that. Like, we we thrived that. And I was pretty okay at it. And I I think I can do this. And just that identity shift of, do I want the school to be high performing? Absolutely. Do I want people to look at my work and say, you know, that guy's got it going on? Of course. But at the end of the day, as much as performance and production and perception um, do play a role in what we do, they don't define who we are. And, and that, that's a lesson I've had to learn as an adult time and time and time again. And so that, that particular year, I'd say that was a major transitional lesson that you, you can't necessarily prepare somebody for as they shift from teacher to admin. But one that, um, you know, I tell that, that story a lot, especially as I'm working with aspiring admin or new admin, um, because that's some of the real talk that we, we don't often get into. But that identity work is important if we're truly going to, you know, serve other people and thrive at what we're doing. I want to talk more about that first year as an administrator. You know, leadership is a very tricky job, and often we have to learn through difficult experiences. So was there a trial or a failure you experienced that created the most growth in your first year? <laughs> My general answer would be that, that we were creating everything new, and, and sometimes what we created didn't work. One of my specific instructional examples would be um, you know, there, there were some instances where I was, I was charged with leading folks who had considerable more experience than I did as a classroom teacher. And so, you know, how, how am I going to do that effectively? How, how are we going to work together for the, the best of the kids in our school in a dynamic like that? So, you know, having to, to navigate some of those relationships and, and really learn how to be an instructional leader um, you know, just in that type of dynamic. The 21st century piece. So there, there were things that I did in my classroom that lended itself very well to a 21st century environment. But as we're now, you know, now I'm charged with leading a campus in that. And so what do those systems look like? How do we scaffold professional development? How, how do we maybe do some new and innovative things that even five years ago weren't as popular like EdCamp style PD or, or even just teacher voice and choice in how PDs facilitated, things of that nature. So, you know, I would say all of that was wrapped up into that first year where I'm in situations based on my title and based on what I'd accomplished that at that point in education that were, were all new. Mm-hmm. Once you became a principal, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? I think the the transition from AP to principal for me was who am I now at a school I'm familiar with? So I became an AP at at a brand new STEAM school. Um, I was there for two years and then I went to a local high school for a semester. 
during that semester, the principal of the school I was at became a high school principal in another district, and I had the wonderful opportunity to come back to the STEAM school as the principal. So, you know, I am coming back to a staff that I'm familiar with, a lot of whom I participated in the hiring process with, and now I'm learning this new role as they learn me in this new role. And so, you know, there were there were dynamics of the way that we worked together or the way that we related that, that had to change uh, just based on the, the different um, role that I was taking on. So, you know, even though I was coming back to a school that I was familiar with, I still took a, you know, first 90 days type approach where I really tried to sit back and look at the school as if I didn't know anything about it and be slow and meticulous in the direction of the school and and making changes or not making changes, which, again, which was challenging because there were times when, you know, I did have to have conversations of, I hear what you're saying, but that's, that doesn't necessarily fit in my purview or it doesn't fit in this way uh, any longer. And so, you know, that, that was a good, a good time for me and I think for our staff because that, that learning journey was, it was able to bear fruit, you know, as we transitioned then into the fresh start of a new year where, I was able to start the year as principal, you know, I think it paid dividends then. Over your time as an educator, what has been the largest change you've seen in the role of educational leadership? I think some of it has to do with people who've invested in me, but, you know, the the transition from admin as manager to admin as instructional leader slash leading alongside previous uh, mentor, coworker of mine, and I would talk about power under as opposed to power over. So, you know, he would say, I can coach you or I can manage you and I'd much rather coach you, but I'll manage you if I need to. And kind of, I guess I would say very similar to that, you know, there, there are the times when you lead out of the title, that power over leadership, but I would much rather lead from a power under in the sense of raising up teacher leaders, and as I invest in my admin team and my admin team invest in them, they in turn invest in the staff. I think that that is a different, I've been in education for 10 years, so I don't necessarily have, you know, 20, 30 years to look back on, but I I think that's a different way that leadership maybe has traditionally been done in education. I would also say that the the 21st century style learning that, that my school is attempting to facilitate for kids is also having an impact on how we do our work as educators. And that's, that's very good because we cannot facilitate something for our kids that we're not at least growing and semi-experiencing ourselves. So, you know, when it comes to experimenting with EdCamp style PD or with online on-demand type PD or online collaboration, online professional learning communities, or ongoing communication through tools like Voxer or Slack or whatever. You know, this is, this is the environment that our, our kids don't know any different. And, and there is some level where we're learning to live in that world. But I think in the end, that's making us better educators. I also look at things like leveling learning standards. Like that's a, that's a huge change, even from five, eight years ago, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a classroom teacher, I can tell you that I had stations in my classroom for various reasons, and they were scaffolded in nature, but I, I couldn't tell you that I took a learning standard and leveled it four ways and then designed do-it-yourself activities connected to workshops, connected to level-ups to lead or facilitate kids on this you know learning journey of self-discovery. And so 
it, it necessitates that we develop teacher leaders and that we invest in folks because there is a point, I think, as a leader where my, my instructional knowledge isn't necessarily going to tap out, but my stories of my own implementation as a teacher is going to tap out. Mm-hmm. But if I'm developing your own, your leadership skills to invest in the people on your team, that's an ongoing way that I can contribute to the growth of the staff and of the campus. Now, I want to go back to what you're talking about as far as growing leaders. So for our current leaders that are listening to this podcast, what are some tangible ways that they can grow future leaders? Yeah, I think for my admin team in particular. So, I mean, just some stories from this week. So my testing coordinator also functions as a participant on our admin team. So there's roles to his job that aren't out, that are outside of traditional testing coordination. And so we shared some phone calls together. He may make the call. And I might jump in at some point, but we're in this ongoing dialogue about parent communication. Obviously, the projects that he's working on, we're in communication about, and and I'm looking for that balance of we do together or you do I watch or that type of dynamic, but seeking to be very intentional about that process. Even today, uh, my, my first year assistant principal, you're going to start the, we had a more traditional style faculty meeting today, but you're going to start the meeting and and I'm going to sit with the teachers and be a participant in it. This is your thing. Um, Now, obviously we consulted on that and and whatnot, but, you know, attempting to get her in front of the staff, showing instructional leadership, showing expertise, et cetera. So just being intentional about, about those dynamics. I think another thing that we've done as a campus from a social media or a marketing standpoint is just our, our admin and teacher introductions. So, from my standpoint as a parent, like meet the teacher is a big night because you meet the teacher. <laughs> well, what if you actually met the teacher online in July because the school posted a picture and some credentials and a quote, what the teacher do this summer, things of that nature. And so we started doing that last year and that's paid huge dividends because we're able to tell you who you're going to meet when you come. And there's, there's already that, uh, that calming sense or that, okay, you know, I at least have a name, I have a face, I have some background info, and that's really helped whether it's been new administrators or new teachers just for, you know, for our parents and students to have a feel for who the people are that, that work at the school they're going to. And I always love providing leaders with examples of practical strategies and initiatives. So what is one initiative you've implemented on your campus that you're extremely proud of? I think for me going back to a school that I was at prior I'm proud of continuing the the instructional legacy of the school. So, for example, I, I was a part of, in the very beginning of the school, this 21st century, not PBL specific, but inquiry based in a variety of forms style of learning. So, when I came back to the school, I was familiar with what the initiatives in that regard were. What I did was tell the school, like, this isn't going to change. We are committed to learning done this way. And if we focus on one best practice and we focus on one future-ready skill, we're going to lay a foundation that we can build on for years. We focused on standards alignment um, and we focused on student autonomy as our our best practice and future-ready skill. And now, uh, now we're in a year of building on that, so we've layered on other best practices or future-ready skills, and we're developing more campus coaches to continue the legacy of that style of learning but um, I'm proud of that number one I believe is best for kids but number two I believe that it grows our educators faster 
So I had a conversation with a teacher today about this this legacy that she is a part of where uh, the the teacher in 2015 who started the journey, you know, receives a promotion or went on to do this other thing that, that he or she wanted to do. And then that led to this person who invested in this person who invested in this person. And now, you know, on paper, you might say, well, I've only taught for a year, two years, three years, but you've taught under these other teachers who've invested in you and who've modeled and who've walked alongside you, et cetera. So your three years is like seven years anywhere else. And I'm, I'm proud of that, you know, that, that I feel like we're, and I feel like I have evidence to point to that we're, we're growing people quickly and they are able to promote or are able to go on to other things that they want to do in their career. And that's been because their time with us has been beneficial. You've mentioned autonomy a couple times with your students, and I know that you like to have a culture of empowerment. So how are you creating meaningful relationships and creating student voice on your campus? So a couple of ways. Instructionally, we're partnered with an organization called Engage to Learn, and there are rubrics for the best practices and the future-ready skills. So when it comes to autonomy, we're looking at a four-level rubric that shows teacher actions and that shows student actions or student expressions. And so last year was our first year with that life ready skill emphasis. And, you know, we, we did well in level one and level two. So this year I'm looking for more level three, level four expressions of student autonomy, whether it's from the teacher facilitating or from the student showing the action. Another way has been our, our positive behavior emails. So, my first time at the school, worked together with uh, the principal to create a, a Google form system where a teacher has to input a student ID and then can type a nice message about the kid, hit submit, and you know through add-ons and, and whatnot, it sends an email to the parent. And that has just been tremendous. Um, you know, I have a staff of around 31, and last year we sent just under 1,500 positive emails. Oh, wow. First week of school this year, we sent 103. And after three days, the second week of school, I think we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 60, 65 this week as well. So, I mean, you know, we're around 200, eight days into school. Um, and so, and you know, that that's a, a huge expression of our commitment to make sure that kids are valued and appreciated and supported and our, our parent communication. I think sometimes we were talking before we started about Eric Scheninger and the, the convocations in your district and in mine. And, you know, he talks about telling your story and, you know, that's a, I feel like that's an authentic and a proactive way of telling our story, which is we love you parent because you send your best to us every day. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to get your best where they need to be academically, behaviorally, and socially while they're with us. And we're committed to that. And it may not always look like you like, it may not always look like we like, it may not always come together the way that we want. But at the end of the day, we're all in the same team wanting the best for your child and the positive emails go a long way towards um, strengthening that partnership with our parents, um, our students, and each other, because we do the same thing as a staff. So uh, I think it was last year, put together something called um, hashtag steam fist bumps. And the concept was very similar, where you could either do a handwritten card or you could do a online submission that I turn into like an Adobe Spark, um, you know, graphic post. And so you know, you get social media recognition and you get some uh, old school handwritten uh, postcard recognition, but staff has the opportunity to appreciate each other, again, 
strengthening our relationships and this, this community bonded by the mission that we're in this together and helping each other succeed. You've mentioned that your school is a STEAM school. So can you just tell our listeners what's the difference between a STEAM school versus a traditional? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And really that's going to be the next steps for our campus leadership team. Up to this point, I, my answer to that question would be the way that we do learning, inquiry-based, discovery-based, project-based, however you really want to describe it, taking the learning standard and breaking it down four different ways and scaffolding students through that journey with DIYs, workshops, and level-ups. We're really blessed to be a part of the district that is, is committed to that form of learning at, at various schools beyond ours. And so that is becoming especially amongst ourselves and the, the gaming school of choice, middle school in, in my district as well, that's becoming the way that, that we just do learning. So at the same time, who are we as STEAM? If our facilities don't define us with collaboration areas, flexible seating, you know, wobbly stools, et cetera, as great as our facilities are, they shouldn't define us. But if, if it's not, oh, STEAM Middle School has a different building than the other schools, because that's not the case in our district anymore, you know, we relied on, on the learning framework because it really was unique to us. Well, now we're seeing that spread to other schools in our district, which is fantastic. So if that's not what makes us unique, what is it that makes us unique? So that's really something that our, our campus leadership team is going to dive into, kind of using some of the work of Plano ISD as, as some of the guide for us as we look at STEM initiatives and, and things of that nature. So it was really important to us to I mean, we haven't arrived. It was really important to us, though, to lay foundations of 21st century learning. And, you know, we've spent four going on year five of doing that, and we're going to continue to develop that and get better at that. But I believe that that foundation has now, along with other work we've done with Engage to Learn, like develop culture tenants and really refine what does the learning framework that they've coached us in look like for us as we own it ourselves. I really feel like we've done good to lay those foundations that now we can apply to, does it, does it look like partnerships with local businesses with STEM emphasis? Does it look like pursuing things that we're already involved in, like robotics and Lego League and other uh, gateway to technology, project lead the way, things like that, but just going after them deeper? You know, what, what does it really look like for us in our niche to be a STEAM school? So I have to change gears here. And I have to ask you about your rapping and your YouTube parody videos. So when did that begin and how did these amazing videos come together? Come on. Okay. So here's the deal. When I was a fifth grade math teacher, I would do that kind of stuff in my class. And my principal at the time was promoted to chief of communications. And so when the concept came about in 2015, she just shoulder tapped me. Um, hey, would you be interested in rewriting Empire State of Mind? And I was like, uh, Yes, and <laughs> had the opportunity to do that and and record that, and then the the concept of the video was fantastic, and it was it just came together really really well and was a really big hit. And so when it came to 2016, it was like, okay, can we do this again? And and I mean, it was it was a blast. And so we did the uh, the Bruno Mars song, and I realized very quickly that singing like Bruno Mars is is a little bit more challenging than rapping like Jay Z. And when I watched those live Bruno Mars videos, is he really singing this or is this auto-tune? I'm like, no, he's really singing this. Um, <laughs> so we had to had to be a little bit more creative uh, that year. And then we came back with Justin Timberlake in, in the next year. And then, you know, Old Town Road this year was 
Uh, I mean, I, I was being asked early in the summer, like, y'all are going to do Old Town Road, aren't you? Because we have a, a section in our town called Old Town, so it, it just fit perfectly. So it was it was really neat the way that the script and the video came together this year. And, I mean, everybody loved seeing the superintendent and board members dressed up, and it was just it was a lot of fun. I want to talk about your social media journey also. I know you're a member of Nohia Kindreds, and can you just talk through that journey and how did you create your PLN? Yeah, so it was it was really one of your previous guests, I think one of your first guests that got me involved on Twitter. That was Brandon Johnson. I had the opportunity to, to work for him for two years, and we're still good friends to this day. And at the time, I had a personal Twitter account, but I really hadn't considered doing a personal account and a professional account. You know, he really really challenged me in that direction to connect with other admin and to see what else was going on in the world. And so, you know, I, I did that and, and engaged and started getting involved in chats and connecting with people there and a lot like connecting with Inspire Lead. You know, you, you meet somebody who introduces you to somebody and you start seeing the same people in chats and you know, relationships develop. So, you know, hey, Kindred's really came out of that and being in chats with with Aubrey and with Lori and with the other folks that are that are involved there. And so honestly, I need to be a better Nohia Kindred and create more content as opposed to just posting and reposting other people's content. But it's great to have that online support network and share ideas and concepts and risks and pitfalls and all those kinds of things. And, you know, some of those relationships are now going outside of Twitter, which is is cool. So, you know, boxing with folks here and there and connecting in other ways, just it's very helpful to have folks speaking encouragement and and folks just outside of your system who you can look at and go, okay, I, I wasn't crazy because they're thinking the same thing or they're trying the same thing, you know, which just helps us all get better. For those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? So I'll, I'll do a do and a don't. Sure. Uh, do surround yourself as much as you can with a, with a supportive community that's investing in you that's intentional about your growth and that is intentional about scaffolding your journey into leadership with the right amount of support and the right amount of challenge. Um, don't fall into the identity pitfalls, uh, which is, is easier said than done. But when you grow in leadership, it's especially positionally, it's typically because you did a good job at something else. So the skills that made me a good fifth grade math teacher are not the skills that made me a good AP. And the only way to learn those AP skills was to do the job. And so that identity thing becomes really a, a real thing because, wait a minute, I, I was good at this other thing. That's how I got this job. And now I don't feel so good anymore because I'm, I'm having to learn it. And so I think that's where the two come together. You know, I mean, the, the trusted, supportive community really helps when you, you don't feel necessarily good about your performance because you're learning something new. So in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? Investing in other people. It's probably the most challenging too, but when you invest in other people, you see them grow, you see, you know, you see them accomplish things they want to accomplish and in turn serve and grow other people. You know, we, we talk a lot about the coaching tree and, and think it's really fun to consider you know, the branches after branches that come out from the, the folks, especially that I mentioned earlier, who've invested in me and now having the opportunity to invest in others and, and carry it on. Chris, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Twitter at Chris underscore Chapitin, C-H-A-P-P-O-T-I-N. 
and Instagram at the same handle. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from this show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Chris, thank you so much for being on the program. Not a problem, Josh. It was a blast.